An amateur golfer who idolized Jack Nicholas so much went to one of the courses where Jack Nicholas frequently played, and there he asked to have a caddy who had caddied for the famous golfer. When they got to the first hole, he turned to the caddy and asked, what club would Mr. Nicholas use on this hole? The caddy replied, well, Mr. Nicholas would use his driver on this hole. So the man selected his driver and prepared to hit his ball. The ball went far to the right into a grove of trees, some 250 yards away from the hole. When the golfer and caddy reached the ball, again, the man turned to the caddy and said, what club would Mr. Nicholas use from here? And the caddy replied, I don't know. Mr. Nicholas has never been here before. Watch any news report these days, and inevitably you will hear someone use the word unprecedented. Whether the subject is the coronavirus, firestorms, hurricanes, election coverage, schools, protests, or sports, someone is liable to say it's unprecedented. We've never been here before. So much novelty and disruption threatens our overall well-being and sense of stability, like driving on a mountainous coastal highway without guardrails. We long to feel safe and secure and return to what we think is normal and routine. One reason people of faith turn to the Psalms in times of distress and difficulty is the fact that these psalms capture a myriad of experiences and emotions related to life's complexities, times of triumph and times of crises. In the stanzas of these songs, poems, and prayers, we find words that mirror our longings, our fears, our pains, and our difficulty of coping with unprecedented times. With honesty, and depth, the language of the Psalms teach us what it means to trust God at all times. In today's reading of Psalm 62, the psalmist recalls the pangs of violated trust from so-called friends and the resulting disorientation of knowing one's place in the world. By, hearing, by bearing her situation to God and opening her soul through prayer, the psalmist renews her sense of identity and reorders her view of the world and relationship to it. The act of prayer becomes a touchstone of trust in God and a clarifying view of what matters. Let us turn our attention to the reading of God's word of Psalm 62 by Mary Rogers. Today's scripture is from Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from the Lord. Truly God is my rock and my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from the Lord. Truly God is my rock and my salvation. The Lord is my fortress and I will not be shaken. 
My salvation and my honor depend on God. The Lord is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to the Lord, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighted on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. This confession, writes commentator Arthur Weiser, which is the fruit of the spirit of wrestling of one's soul in prayer, is in itself one of the finest testimonies in the Psalms to the true spirit of prayer. Its content is not so much an actual prayer, although it contains elements of what the psalmist had prayed, as it is more a reflection of the act of praying and its significance and consequence for life. I think the writer of this psalm has four things to say about the importance of prayer. The first is that prayer centers our souls. By engaging in prayer, the psalmist is lifted out of his fluctuating situation of not knowing, pervaded by anxiety and anguish, and finds a firm footing in God's presence. He enters prayer with conflicting emotions because of the struggle going on inside of him between despair and his desire to trust in God. Yet the choice to pray becomes in itself what the psalmist most needs to give his attention and heart to God, the one place where his trust is most safe and most sacred. The first act of prayer, writes Anthony Bloom, is to choose such words which are completely true to what you are, words which you are not ashamed of, which express you adequately and are worthy of you, and then offer them to God with all the intelligence of which you are capable. You must also put all the heart you can into this act of worship, of recognition of God. The opening line of Psalm of this Psalm reads, my soul finds rest in God. The New International Version translates it this way. The New Revised Standard Version reads, My soul waits in silence. And another translation says, My soul is still. Common to each of these translations is a picture of prayer that is expectant, patient, and receptive. Such an approach to prayer is not all talk. It includes waiting and listening to hear from God. As Eugene Peterson reminds us, waiting means that there is another whom I trust and from whom I receive. My will, important and essential as it is, finds a will that is more important and more essential. While waiting, 
I discover there is more reality outside of me than inside of me. Therefore, I assume a position to receive. To make listening part of prayer means I am silent and wait to hear God's word to me rather than give voice to my words as my only and my whole prayer. I may start by trying to convince God of what I want God to do for me, but the critical component in prayer is that I become more interested in what God has to say to me. Silence in prayer may feel awkward and time-consuming, but it's a prerequisite to listening and the primary way to experience rest for our souls. In comparison with the religious leaders of his day who demanded pious practice of God's people, Jesus echoed the words of this psalm in his invitation to accept followers. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Sometimes we need rest from the religious messages and all the shoulds that press down upon us. A second thing this prayer teaches, I mean, this psalm teaches us a prayer about prayer is the singular focus of prayer, which is trust God. 16 times the word my occurs in front of, in the first seven verses of this psalm, either in parallel stanzas or in repetition. Combined, they express personal connection of the writer with God. My salvation, my rock, my fortress, my refuge. They also express the writer's trust in God, my hope, my honor. Verses 2 and 6, the writer makes three assertions which form the basis of her trust in God. The Lord is my rock, or foundation, my fortress, or defense, my salvation, or wholeness. This imagery conveys the underlying needs of the psalmist and reinforces her trust in God to provide her with stability, integrity, and vigor. Such confidence and freedom leads her to express a stronger than ever sense of security. I will never be shaken. Not like the way the psalmist had been shaken by feelings of betrayal and falsehood from so-called friends. Their bond was as precarious as a leaning wall or a flint or flimsy as a tottering fence. They said one thing to her face and another to when her back was turned. Their true motives reflect the superficialities they live by, valuing influence like ability, fame, and status over loyalty, support, integrity, and having the psalmist's best interest at heart. Their words and actions rattled her and left her feeling wounded and deflated, but through prayer, she has recovered and found refuge in God. 
Prayer puts the focus where it belongs, in trust of God. The third observation that this psalm teaches about prayer is that it brings clarity of what is real and what matters. In the presence of God, the things which are valued and the standards which are followed are entirely different from those which carry weight in ordinary life. A second distraction for the psalmist is to succumb to a wrong way of looking at life and being deceived by its outward appearances. The writer employs a common theme found in wisdom literature which acknowledges that sometimes the expected pattern of godly blessings doesn't always pan out. Sometimes the wicked prosper and flourish, and the righteous do not. We know what it's like to live in a competitive culture of winners and losers, of haves and have-nots, of people who thrive with abundance and people who struggle with scarcity. Such a binary view of the world has us envy the rich and pity the poor, where envy leads us to feelings of discontent and reduces us to consumers, and pity conjures feelings in us of sentimentality and pricks us as bleeding hearts. Through prayer, the psalmist confronts any skewed view of reality and corrects it by saying, People of low estate are no different than people with privilege and wealth. Both are the same, nothing but thin air. Compared with the majesty and goodness of God, the glory of humanity shrinks into ephemeral nothingness of inconsequential substance and weight. The psalmist affirms that we are truly human, truly ourselves, when we are in a trust relationship with God, aligned with God's will and dependent on God's power and sustaining grace. So he declares this message to his community. Trust God at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to the Lord. In the story I'm about to share, news reporters cited it as a story with an ironic twist. But to the people involved, it is a story of trust in God. An Alabama woman, formerly on the state's most wanted list, saved the life of a police officer by donating her kidney to the same man who had arrested her and put her behind bars. In a five-year period, Jocelyn James was arrested 16 times for drug and theft charges. She was shooting up multiple times a day and using break-ins to fund her habit. She said she was in a very dark place and was not sure how she was going to survive, having lost her license, her car, and her job. I was just a really lost person, she said. Now, eight years out of jail, clean and sober, James runs a nonprofit called A Place of Grace to help addicts get treatment. She credits former police officer Terrell Potter, who arrested her more than once with encouraging her to change how she was living. 
while serving a six-month stint in a halfway house, she was given the strength to battle her opioid addiction. Through Facebook, she learned that Potter's kidney was only functioning at 5%, that he was in desperate need of a transplant and may have to wait up to eight years for a kidney donation. Potter said, we began praying about getting the right kidney, looking all over the Southeast. When James came across the post on Facebook in December, she instantly knew what it was she had to do. She said, I just threw my phone down and the Holy Spirit told me right then that I had that man's kidney. Turns out, after all the medical tests, she proved to be a perfect match. Terrell Potter said, if you asked me a hundred names of who may give me a kidney, her name would not have been on the list. It's just unbelievable that she was willing to do that. It's not just a coincidence. It's just God. There is no other way to explain it. More than sharing a kidney, the two have formed a lasting bond through mutual faith and trust in God. In prayer, we hear God speak and we measure the words of the world for what they really are. Tinny, unconvincing lies. Prayer brings clarity to what is real in a confusing, upside-down world by emphasizing what matters. The psalmist knows that to see through the eyes of God means to get to the root of all things, even to see the truth of our own lives without defensiveness or self-deception. The fourth thing the psalm teaches us about prayer is that prayer aligns our will with the will of God. It takes humility and openness to trust God at all times. Humility to rely on God and not ourselves, and to allow God to work in our lives and to address our situation rather than exhaust all of our own efforts. Our world has little regard for humility. Instead, we're told to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-serving. It's nearly impossible to pray when we're busy pursuing a life of ambition and greed. Humility conditions us to wait for God to act, regardless of the time it takes or having to live with prolonged, unchanged circumstances. For the psalmist, the question is not whether things get done, but who does them and in what order. If you believe, as the psalmist does, that power belongs to God and that God sustains us with grace, then you're more likely to put your trust in the countless visible and invisible ways God works. God works out our salvation and wholeness at every level of life, socially, economically, and culturally. If humility helps me trust God to do God's part, then openness helps me align my will with the will of God so that I'm ready and willing to do my part as God directs. Rather than figuring out 
what I can do to express myself or make my contribution in the world. Prayer leads me to find my fulfillment by participating in what God is doing. It has been through prayer that our church leadership has formed strategic goals in the past several years that has led to such things as a caring ministry culture that moved away from an ordained model of professional care delivered by a single person to a shared model with the leader providing training, encouragement, and mobilization of our entire congregation to minister to one another. A second strategic goal brought the community service team into being which identifies opportunities for us to be alongside the most vulnerable in our community and form a relational bond through transformative service. And yet another goal inspired us to grow God's kingdom by intentionally planning and investing in the start of a new congregation. This past month, Session adopted a new strategic goal brought by a group of leaders who met to discern how God might be leading us as a congregation to address the racial and social injustice in our world and answer questions of significant moral and spiritual importance. In the following video, Laurel Quas summarizes how we came to this decision and she describes what our approach will be as we make this one of our church's priorities for the next few years. We are living in a time of racial reckoning. The deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Armad Arbery, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Oscar Grant, and Trayvon Martin are just some of the names that have sparked this reckoning. The question, how long will this go on, has been on the hearts and minds of Black Americans. Other people of color are asking similar questions for their own racial and ethnic groups. How do we as followers of Christ answer these questions? The questions are difficult. The questions don't have easy answers. And the questions require people of faith to learn about racism and wrestle with our understanding of the Bible, the history of the Christian church, and of our country. Questions require conversations that will be uncomfortable at times. The questions require us to take a look inward in order to hear what God is calling from us as a response. An immediate response can be godly sorrow and lament for the history of severe mistreatment for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are of color. Within the Christian church, we talk about humankind being created in God's image. We talk about God asking us to love one another. We talk about God's justice. How do those values impact us in the times in which we are living? How can and should we walk these values out? These are questions of significant moral and spiritual importance. A group of leaders from our church has been meeting since June to read, learn, and discuss matters of racism in our country and a biblical approach to addressing racism, racism seen and unseen 
within ourselves and to pray and consider how we as a church body might respond. As we together have grown in our understanding of these issues, there's a growing and collective sense of call among us that God wants this issue of racism to be addressed and that we must follow where God is leading us. Representatives of our group met with session in August and received approval of the following. That we would set anti-racism and social justice as a strategic goal a focus at First Presbyterian Church of Santa Rosa over the next few years. This would include offering opportunities to learn more about what God has to say in the Bible about justice and about difficult and hard truths about our history as a church and as a nation. This also means learning how to talk with one another about racism and to recognize racism when it is in front of us. It means learning how to uphold the equal God-given dignity that all humankind possesses as image bearers of God. The approach will be biblical and invitational. We would also like to build deeper relationships within our community, particularly with other communities of faith to further understand and work together to be anti-racist and to promote God's justice within our community. Relationship building of communi with communities of faith that are non-dominant white will be a priority. When we are able, we as a church community can promote and participate in events of community learning and discussion and events that enhance and promote racial equity. You are invited on this journey of learning, growing, and discussing matters of anti-racism and social justice. And in doing so together, may we individually and corporately become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Laurel. Soon we will have a link on our website of opportunities for each of us to participate in in such activities as book discussions, small group interactions, classes, and presentations to help us become more aware, more informed, and ever responsive to God's leading related to racial and social justice. In addition to Laurel's video, we will feature the other three presenters who brought this proposal to session, namely Ali Shoulders, Tim Stafford, and Leslie Van Dordrecht. In summary, this psalm has given us four reasons to pray as a demonstration of our trust in God. To center our souls. To focus our attention on God. To provide clarity for what is real and what matters. And to align our wills with the will of God through humility and openness. So trust God at all times especially when the times are unprecedented. Amen.